Hi, I'm Conrad, and these are the Chronicles of Curious Characters. We feature a new character in each episode and their unique story. We explore their backgrounds and their passions. We focus on the melting pot of Luxembourg, but every now and then we will have guests from other countries. We'll be talking to locals and expats about what they love to do, what they're enthusiastic about in life, and what makes Luxembourg such a special place for them. In this episode, we continue talking with Dirk. If you haven't listened to the previous episode, I invite you to also listen to episode number two, titled The Colors of Jazz. And today, Dirk dives deeper, talking about the oldest European Toastmasters club and the importance of public speaking, even in the times of remote working. He also shares with us his unique experience of how Luxembourg has changed in the over 30 years while he's been living here. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. So you mentioned that you retired and you were still busy with other projects. What other projects you are involved currently? I'm spending quite a lot of time on Toastmasters, which is a public speaking organization. I'm president of the club that I've been a member of for 20 years, the Bosway Gavaliers, which happens to be the oldest Toastmasters club in the whole of Europe. It's a very nice atmosphere, I find, that we have at the club, because what we do is we create a safe environment for people to practice public speaking, and it's really very gratifying to see people evolve and coming in rather shy and then developing themselves and going on perhaps to do even contests and and to hear that they also use it at work etc and in my career it's also really really helped me so next to being the president of my club uh, which i'm only for here and then afterwards i'll take up another task i'm also what we call area director which means I coordinate the work of, of several clubs and I organize contests and trainings. And and so that's an, another part of my what used to be my weekends and now <laughs> weekdays that are occupied with that. But it's also nice because, again, you meet other people, you, you go on trainings abroad, you hear people with different kinds of speeches or different kinds of um, personalities. So... I think one of the things that throughout my whole career has been a real motivator is learning new things. And that's about learning new languages, learning how the computer works, learning, learning how a new version of, of software works, teaching people how new things work, and therefore also developing myself as a public speaker has always also been a source of inspiration and motivation. You mentioned quite a few things, Toastmaster, meeting people, learning new things, especially that part of the meeting people fits quite well in Luxembourg, because I've been in Luxembourg for six years, and before I came here, because I moved from the United States, quite specific place because it was Memphis, Tennessee, so 
I call it in the middle of nowhere, especially for Europeans, but people were telling us, oh, Luxembourg is boring, nothing is happening in Luxembourg. But I think their opinion was through the lens of other European countries, first of all. Secondly, for me, nothing was happening in Memphis, so anywhere else would be an interesting place. But also, I see so many things happening in Luxembourg. I mean, there are so many cultural events, and, uh, lots of people from different parts of the world, not only Europe. And every year there are always newcomers, mm -hmm. uh, expats coming to Luxembourg. So I think, well, actually, I wanted to ask you, what's your opinion? How Luxembourg fits into all that you've been doing and you enjoy on retirement? Yes, it's strange. These are occurrences which are something like in the film Sliding Doors. You, certain things happen which put you on a certain track. And for me, I guess it was linked to my military service that I did in Arnaud. And from Arnaud, I was always coming to see movies here because here you would have the the original English version with subtitles, whereas in Arnaud you would have the dubbed uh, French version, which was awful to watch. And so I developed a link with Luxembourg. I was coming to, to the what is now the library, which was then called the Cine Cité, so uh, next to the Place d'Armes. And there were other, uh, there were two other cinemas next to the, the gare, next to the train station. And then there was another one, very old, with plush seats, etc., et on the corner across from what is now the Zita Clinic, or, or however it's called now. Uh, so there was a lot of atmosphere there. They had the same movies as as uh, otherwise internationally, and they were even very often the the Belgian version subtitled in both French and, and Dutch, <laughs> and, uh, because apparently for the Benelux uh, they used the same versions. And and so when I did a competition for the commission, I was selected. I was offered a job in Luxembourg, and so I said, "Well, I know Luxembourg a little bit, so." Feels like a nice place, so let's just try it out. And and like many people coming to Luxembourg, I said, well, okay, I'll try it out for a couple of years and perhaps then I'll go to Brussels. And uh, 32 years later, I'm still here. And because I think indeed Luxembourg is is an international village and it's grown more international with the years. I think in 1990 when I arrived, it was, compared to now, perhaps a bit more provincial. But then, as of 1995, when it was uh, European cultural capital for the first time, the culture offer, uh, offer just uh, exploded, and then we got the Philharmonie and then the Rock Hall, and uh, I think currently there's, there's more than you can swallow <laughs> in, on, on the cultural front. You've been in Luxembourg much longer than, than I have been. You just mentioned 32 years uh, of your experience living uh, in Luxembourg. I'm still surprised when I sometimes look at Google Maps and I want to see the street view of a certain street. And I notice that that street doesn't look anything like I remember it from, let's say, a couple of months ago. And then I look at the date of that street view. And it's, for example, from 2008. And it already looks completely different. In your opinion, how did the Luxembourg has evolved? Has it involved, evolved into something that uh, that you like, that you expected? How it has changed over the time for you? 
I think it's it's probably surpassed my expectations. I didn't have any concrete expectations. To give you one example, one of the first years in the early 90s, when I was at the commission, we were informed and were invited to look at a market of the future planning of the Kirchberg. And I said, well, this is completely irrealistic. I mean, it's full of buildings. We were then in the Jean Monnet building, and you already had the, the Novotel Hotel. And they said, you can't possibly fit a building in front of the Novotel and on the other side of the Novotel. There just isn't space for that. And now this is really there, full buildings and towers, and half of that maquette has turned into reality. And whereas then you had, you didn't have Auchan, you had you had a, a Ford garage on the other side of Auchan. You had the nucleus of the of the Foire on the Kirchberg, and that was about all the buildings you you had. You had a building of Quayer, the insurance company, and now indeed it's almost completely built up but I think in a in a quite intelligent fashion and what I also like is that by and by Luxembourg has brought more real inhabitants because it used to be completely dead at night it was only office buildings and then they started with, with Auchan and then uh, now I mean there's lots of new building and it's really new quarters being pushed up from the ground so I think Luxembourg has the advantage of being relatively small scale so that you can you can program things you can connect them and and there's also not too many levels involved compared to Belgium which is like administratively is so complicated to get anything done it would take you decades and here I think the administration is also much more efficient and there's, there's a lot of thinking uh, that goes into the development of a country. I think, and you partially mentioned that, well, what's interesting about Luxembourg, and I noticed that also tourists are noticing that and are impressed, is that when when you are in the city center, in the old town, you have that old town in front of you, and you see the Kirchberg with all the new buildings, and there is this dichotomy, the difference between old and new. And for me personally, somehow it fits in Luxembourg. I didn't see that in other cities, Brussels uh, or, or anywhere else, uh, but also maybe I'm biased because I live in Luxembourg and I enjoy the city. Yeah. But yes, like you said, I think this, the way that the city management designed the city and introduced those old and new and there is this heritage of old and they're very proud of it, which is great. And it's really well maintained mm -hmm. and open to the public. But also, also those new institutions, new buildings that also are also a very important part of Luxembourg because all the foreigners who come and visit Luxembourg, they know Luxembourg not necessarily because of its old town and the history, but they know it because of its financial center mm -hmm. and also the uh, one of the centers of the EU institutions. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very interesting city in that respect so you're you're not disappointed with the way that luxembourg has evolved right no not at all to give you another figure that years ago i think might have been 15 or 20 years ago in toastmasters uh, somebody gave a speech about an article that had just appeared in the press and where somebody had said by i don't know 
which year, perhaps 2050 or something, Luxembourg would have 700,000 inhabitants. And we were at 300,000, barely 300,000 at that moment. Everybody said, this is impossible. 700, more than double, is never going to happen because we've grown from 250 to 300 and took us 10 years or something. And now we're at 640,000. It's only 2022. So it is amazing how, how all of this is great to look back over 30 years and see, well, and everything we thought well, would never happen now is almost in place. And on the other hand, it took Francis a very long time to make Luxembourg a bike-friendly city because there were never ever any, there wasn't any particular space for cyclists. But then I think around 10 years ago, it changed when they also introduced these Velo rent, rent a bike system. And now I, I must say that it's, it's not bad. And I mean, one of the great examples is this cycling path underneath the Paul Adolphe, which is even a tourist attraction and which is so well, well made and, and so well integrated into that whole system and that you have cycling lanes next to the tram on the main road going to the station, the Avenue de la Liberté. So Luxembourg has really transformed itself in a, in a very positive way, I find. And is there something for you that is still lacking in Luxembourg that you would like to see? Well, <laughs> there's not enough water. <laughs> I mean, if you go to Finland, where my wife is from, it's just full of lakes. And the only thing you, uh, you have, the, the lake of Esch-sur-Sur, uh, and you have emission. I used to do some windsurfing uh, there, but I mean, you never have enough wind. You you cannot go on the Moselle because there's, there's, there's ship traffic, etc. But um, I, I think it's going to be, even for Luxembourg, it's going to be difficult to, to improve on that. Uh, I once, um, a colleague, Toastmaster, gave a very funny speech. He said, well, okay, we've come up with a solution for for what people always say is lacking in Luxembourg, we don't have any sea. So actually, we will just take all of Luxembourg, we will transport it to the Riviera and plant it in there on, on islands specially made for us. So we've solved this final problem. But I haven't seen the budget uh, for this emerge yet. Long time ago, I think maybe at the beginning when I moved to Luxembourg, I heard a joke, an anecdote, I don't know, maybe it's true. Uh, is that Luxembourg has the highest number of ship vessels registered in because of tax reasons. Yeah. I never tried to verify if it's just a joke or if it's a true statement. It does have vessels on the Luxembourg flag. I don't know how many compared to other ship-faring nations such as Panama or something, but that does exist. Okay, so it's there is a part yeah, truth. It's a truth, but I'm, I'm, I'm not sure whether it's... Whether it's much bigger than any other of these. You mentioned Toastmasters, and I wanted to ask you a bit more about the Toastmasters. So you mentioned that the Toastmasters allows people to improve their public speaking. For you personally, because I'm interested in your experience, what brought you to Toastmasters in the first place? I was invited by a colleague of mine, and I was interested because it was around the time that I was involved in IT user groups, I had to chair meetings, I had to talk to people, I had to make presentations. I said, well, I could probably improve. And the thing I appreciated most is that 
well, first of all, as I said, it's it's a safe environment. You can talk about anything. It will not matter. And people give you constructive feedback. And also what I notice is that with practice, you get more confident. And even when I'd been a Toastmaster already for 10 or 11 years, when I was president of the club for the first time and I was opening meetings, I was actually astonished at how nervous I was standing at the lectern and opening the meeting, which was, I mean, there was nothing about it. But also that after after my first year chairing meetings, you learn, well, I'm actually okay at this. I'm actually good at this. And a lot of the fear of public speaking, I think, comes from not knowing how you react and from all of these imaginary pressure and also real ones because I think even professional speakers, they tell me that they're still nervous before going on stage, but they have learned to accept that nervousness and see it as internal energy because it's an energy that says, I want to do a good job. And if you turn it around in this way, it really reinforces your your focus. If you don't let it distract you, but just let it confirm that you're there to do a job. And something that has helped me also is the saying, own the stage. You're there to do a job. You've been nominated to do the job. You are chairing the meeting. You've been invited as a keynote speaker. People look up to you. People want to hear something from you. They come with a positive vibe. So it links with another thing we always say in Toastmasters, never apologize. Because if you apologize, then people say, well, why is he apologizing? Because I hadn't noticed until you apologized. And therefore, you're always much more nervous on the inside than people can see on the outside. So all of these things, once you start internalizing them, they rid you of excess fears and you can use that nervous energy to really then concentrate and do a good job. So it's it's about practice. It's about also mental preparedness. And once you've done this a number of times, you get into the habit of quickly reacting. And that brings me to another part of what we do is impromptu speaking, which we call table topics. So somebody will prepare some questions and then ask people to give an unprepared speech, answering that question for, for two minutes. And again, it's very good practice because it, uh, it forces you to think on your feet, to come up with something with a few ideas to structure them and to close it off in a, in an elegant way. And I think that's actually been the part of Toastmasters that's even been more useful to me than giving speeches because how many times you give less real, real keynote speeches at work is not very often, but you're very often in meetings. You're very often asked questions either by a stakeholder or by your head of units or your director general and then you don't want to sit there and stumble. And having practiced this, this impromptu speaking has really helped me perform there. And I've even been asked to write speeches for my director general and even I've done one speech at the end of my career for my commissioner. So, and that's, that's very satisfying then that you are asked because you are a Toastmaster, can you contribute to this? And Toastmasters is not only about public speaking, it's... On the one hand, it's about managing your own fear 
uh, like you said, it's also, I think, about managing what you think that others expect from you, which is not quite often the reality because we tend to imagine ourselves and coming up with those expectations that others might have towards mm -hmm. us. But it's also managing the audience. Uh, but there is also another aspect, which is the time management. Mm -hmm. Because even the uh, impromptu speeches, um, even the normal speeches, everything is timed mm -hmm. there. So there is this additional pressure, yeah. so to speak, that you not only have to give the speech, that you want to everything be probably perfect, you have the audience in front of you, but there is this time management mm -hmm. which adds additional layer of uh, pressure, I, I guess. Has this time management helped you in your professional career? Yes, because there's nothing worse, and especially in meetings in big organizations, than that someone speaking for too long. And it's really helped me to try and condense my speech and also my interventions and not repeat myself. And if I have a particular speaking slot in, a, let's say, in a senior management meeting, to really stick to that. Because to be effective and to pass your message is very important that you stay within your allotted time. Because otherwise, people get distracted. They start focusing on, on why you're going on and not on your real message. So I think that's... And again, it's practice. I mean, I used to practice my speeches with the stopwatch at, at home. And then the first time for five to seven minutes speech, I'd end up at 12 minutes. Okay. Okay, perhaps I'm not fluent enough. Okay, you do it next time, you end up at eight or nine minutes. Okay, I have to cut out more stuff. Okay, then you end up around the same thing, a few more things, and then... Uh, so it's really craft also. And so uh, it's it's craft, it's discipline, and it's, it's focusing on the key messages. And with your new role in the Toastmasters, which is an area director... Uh, what are your plans? Is there anything that you would like to introduce? No, I think my my focus as area director is rather help the clubs work towards more stability because many clubs have suffered also during COVID because people didn't have the time. All the clubs moved to online and then hybrid and many of the clubs are now not yet at the level of number of members they were before. So I think it's important for clubs to to know how to present themselves, how to run themselves in a in a good way, in an organized way, and get people in involved, so that that everybody can learn. Because it's all, if it's always the same three people who are giving speeches, then those three people will advance, but the others won't. And part of that is also organizing contests which are not only part of the program but a contest is yet another challenge at another level that you set for yourself and the advantage of contests is that you would give a speech at your club you would get feedback you'd fine-tune it and then your club will send you out to represent it at the area level where again you compete against other speakers so you get challenged a bit more you can fine-tune your, your speech a bit more. Then you would go to division level, which in our case is, is Luxembourg, Alsace and Lorraine. And then if you make it at that level, you go to the, let's say, the half of Europe, so the Benelux and France. And at each point, you not only perfect your speech, 
but you also see other people doing things at the same level or probably even even higher than you. So it's like in a marathon or a race, if somebody's running ahead of you and just a little above your level, he actually will drag you to that level. And so, and that's always been very inspiring for me. These days, many people are working from home because of COVID and how the whole industry shifted. And they might think that because they work from home, they don't need to practice or learn public speaking, which I don't think is the case. What, what's your take on it? Yeah, I think if anything, being concise and fluent is even more important in online meetings because our span of attention is shorter. Because you miss part of the body language, you miss part of the, the connection from sitting across people. You don't have, let's say, the small talk when you come into the room, when you sit next to your neighbor at the end of the meeting. So you really have to be even more focused and aware of your background, <laughs> your noise, your lighting, your camera, your body language, and, and, and also you, the way you speak. So I think the circumstances are different, but I think speaking in a focused and clear way is even more important in online meetings. And does the club that you're involved in allow people to practice speaking in public, but through the camera or online conference yeah. systems? With the first COVID lockdown, we immediately moved everything to Zoom. And so then we had to struggle and find out what works and even do contests and everything online. And I think everybody built up a certain basic knowledge of what it is to be in an online meeting. Then we had to switch to, to hybrid. And hybrid, as you're probably aware, is even more complicated because you basically have to deal with one audience live and another audience and you need to make people visible. We solved that by buying just the least expensive TV screen that I could find in Oshaw, and then using that one laptop at the lectern for the speaker. So the speaker can also see in, in gallery view all the, all the people online, and then you have good audio connection, and then one laptop which is turned towards the audience and, and shows the physical room. And I think with that, we... We've established quite a good setup. We also give people feedback, especially when they're, they're presenting speeches from home. We do an audio test. We tell them whether uh, there's not enough light or it's distracting or their background is not working, etc. So I think we now by default have hybrid meetings and it has allowed some very long-standing members of the club who are now based on Crete or in Warsaw or in Dublin or in Brussels uh, to rejoin the club and, and be a regular part of our meetings. And so that's, that's really the added bonus. That, that's very interesting involvement of the club in Keith because of, like we discussed before, Luxembourg being a specific place of lots of people moving in and out every now and then. Some of the members could have moved out, but now with this hybrid method, it allows them to rejoin and actively give speeches being in distance from the club. 
Dirk, thank you so much for your time, for sitting down with me and having a very interesting discussion about your experience living in Luxembourg, your experience working for the European Commission and also talking about your passions. At least the two of them, I, I'm pretty sure there are much more. Maybe you will get a chance to sit again together in the near future and discuss more about different activities that you are busy with in your retirement. Thank you so much for coming over. Thank you for having me. Like always, you can find the links in the show notes. You will find there the link to Dirk's Flickr account and his Toastmaster Club. The Jazzy Tune is thanks to Alex Productions. You can find the link to his music in the show notes as well. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. You can find lots of subscription options to different services and apps on our page, chroniclesofcuriouscharacters.com. I know it's a long address and I'm working on coming up with a shorter one. Thanks for listening and have a great day.